Get some recipes. Yeah. Yes, sir. I can't believe you've done this. Welcome to the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that explores personal evolution through our choices and overcoming life's challenges. The Evolve community is your ultimate destination for personal growth and evolution. True to form, I'm, I get to continue to be the dumbest person in the room. That's fantastic. Thank you. Did you ever get a, uh, uh, a quantum physical uh, explanation for how to uh, bake a meatloaf from a porn star? Bake a meatloaf from a porn star? Uh, so Tanner, like we were uh, talking about, we like to start the show by asking our guests, uh, what is inspiring you right now? Is there some sort of music? Is there a person in your life? Is there a book you're reading? What's inspiring Tanner right now? Man, that's a that's a great question. And I think that, <laughs> I think what I'm experiencing more is what an anti-inspiration and let me let me dive in on that a little bit because i found okay that the music that i used to listen to the media that i used to consume all this stuff especially for me that my identity was centered around i don't like it anymore it's music written by losers about being a loser for mm-hmm. losers and i at the same time like there's not there, there's not other stuff that's that's really out there filling filling the niche so for me when i'm out lifting or when i'm running or when i'm doing these other things I'm trying to find the the right kind of music that's going to resonate with me. So I've explored like the sea shanty trend to like Viking war chants to like uh, <laughs> religious wow. stuff to like I'm I'm all over the okay. place right now. And so, like I said, I'm I'm kind of anti-inspired. I'm trying to find something to fill this niche as far as things that can inspire me. So that, that's that's a place I and I guess I'm inspired by a lack of stuff. So I'm trying to find something new. <laughs> You know what I love about that though is you're you're searching first and foremost, but I think that they're in in the gap. That's where we find what our expression is. Now I read something right. recently that said that uh, all ex or all art is expression, but not all expression is art. When I think about art, part of what makes art beautiful is the negative space. It's the space between the trees. It's the space that we see between whatever it is that's there. I love what you're saying because you're talking about, hey, right now I'm in a space where I've got to find what the thing is. Mm-hmm. And so that's awesome that you're in that uh, that search. I think that's an inspiring thing. So is there something that's resonating? Have you found anything that's starting to click right now? I think the thing that's really starting to click is... Um that I can't, I can't wait around to find it. It's another opportunity for me to have to start to create. Uh, you could see I've got a cello behind me and I don't play. I've started taking lessons yeah. like five weeks ago. You know, I, uh, I'm brand new to that, but I've realized that if I want more, for me, I want more godly art in my life. I want more masculine mm. art in my life. I want more of this kind of high culture that we don't yeah. really have much of anymore. And there aren't a lot of places that I can find it but I have me and my mutuals and we can start creating some of it. And even if it's a very like low basic version of it, that's going to be cringe for a number of years. You got to start at that point somewhere. And this is how you start to establish the skill set. So for now it's, it's trying to figure out how to even create it myself. Sometimes that's all it takes is you put it out there into the universe. And you just say, I want this and people, the places will show up and mm-hmm. you will, you'll create that. 
Oh, I love it. And with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that explores personal evolution through our choices and overcoming the challenges that life throws at us. My regular co-hosts are traveling today. So joining me from his law office downtown in Salt Lake City, Utah, is Nick Meekum. Welcome, Nick. Hey, thanks, Steve. Good to be with you guys today. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And dying from the pollen from this beautiful spring weather in Utah, I'm Steve Cutler. Today, our guest is men's style guru, influencer, coach, content creator, and might we say budding Yo-Yo Ma, Tanner Guzzi. <laughs> very, very little budding. <laughs> I love it. So Tanner, tell our guests a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you do. I've been fascinated with you for a few years and love the content that you put out. So tell our guests who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Uh, I'm in kind of an odd position where I there's not many people who do what I do. But before we dive into that aspect of it, uh, my main identity is I'm a father of five. I'm happily married for nearly 10 years now. And we just had our fifth baby uh, less than a month ago. So we're kind of in the thick of all Congratulations. of Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It is fantastic. I absolutely love being a dad and I love trying to be an intentional father. Um, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus well, Christ. Well, I guess I should really say... Okay. I should say congratulations and condolences as well, right? Because you're not getting any sleep right now. Now I no. have three kids and I'm sure you're with five, you are not getting any sleep. Dude, five is hard. <laughs> this transition. Yeah. Is, okay. I can imagine. I, I'll keep, it's uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun transition. It's been really good, but I love being a dad, uh, religious. Uh, yeah. I run a business where I, I teach men how to dress like they have some measure of self-respect. And that's a very weird thing that a lot of guys feel like I, I shouldn't even care about it. Or why does this, this kind of stuff matter? But that's what I do. And, and I know a lot of you guys who are listening are probably thinking, no, Tanner's one of those like fashion guys who says that I have to wear skinny suits or I have to wear a certain pair of sneakers or something else like that. And that's not the case at all. Right. It's not about trying to put you in a specific uniform. What I do is I teach you how to be as articulate and as communicative with your appearance as you are with the words that you speak or the words that you type or any other method of communication that you use. I teach you to get just as good at it with visually as you are audibly or any other way. And you do this through private coaching. You also do this through social media. Are there other avenues or other ways that you teach men how to communicate through their dress and, and connect to who they truly are? Yeah, probably the most accessible way through it besides social media is uh, I've I published a book a couple of years ago called The Appearance of Power that breaks down mm -hmm. all the philosophy and it's especially tied to men's relationships or the relationship between masculinity and aesthetics and how all that works and has worked historically and philosophically and all of that. Great, which I'm a big fan of. I mean, I, I've read the book. I actually, it was great to uh, get excited again about you coming on the podcast. I pulled it out this week to reread it. I read cool. it, uh, I, I don't know, a year or so ago. And a uh, phenomenal book for our listeners. If they, if they have not read it, I'd highly recommend it. Nick, you had a question? Yeah, Tanner, I looked at your website and read the article, well, some of the articles there, but how did you find yourself in this space? Were you uh, trained in it? Um, how did you get there? So when I first became aware of the impact that uh, appearance has on identity, I was probably 13, 14 years old. And I was going to a private school in uh, the Sugar House area, Cardin Memorial School. And we had the regular mm -hmm. standard Christian school uniform of the gray slacks, the white tie or the white shirt, the rep tie and the, and the Navy blazer. 
And at this point, my identity was rooted in BMX, punk rock, snowboarding. I wanted green yeah. spikes and like a battle jacket with band patches and all this stuff. And, there and you so go. I had these these two very different worlds that I belonged to, and they were both very aesthetically driven. And I felt this dissonance very early on. And then I went to a normal high school. I served a mission. I worked in a corporate gig. And I, I recognized all these different things as I did all of this, that my identity was very very much more tied to my appearance, both from myself perspective, but also the way that other people saw me and more so than most of us give credit to. And so I started to write about it because I, I liked writing. I liked blogging and that kind of picked up. And from there, it turned into working for a custom suit company for five years, which led to some real training. And then I've now been doing this full time for, uh, for the last four years, teaching guys how to do it without making all the mistakes that I did for the last two decades. That's awesome. But it's fascinating. I mean, you're, you're, I wouldn't say your message has changed over time as I followed you, but it shifted a little bit. You know, when I we used to watch your YouTube videos and you were teaching style and how to dress well and how to communicate, as you, as you uh, just said, there was, there was a tone to it, but a lot of it was about suits and how to, how do you dress and communicate this way? Now you've, you've gotten into a broader narrative at this point. Mm -hmm. You are um, communicating with men about expanding how they do their, uh, or excuse me, how they, how they dress. But you, I remember one time you had written something saying, Hey, now that I'm not working for this custom suit company anymore, I'm going through a shift. I'm going through a transition because I'm not wearing a suit every day. So what was it for you that sparked the evolution or the change going from wearing suits every day to where you're at right now? That's a great question because you, you expect somebody who does what I do to be in suits all the time and to go right. from and to still be in that industry when I made the transition. But what it really came down to is they weren't practical for what I did. I work from home. I've got kids. We homeschool. So my kids are home with me all the time. I like to spend my time more often than not doing physical things, whether that's boxing or triathlon training or just strength training or other things related to that. And so, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still love the opportunity that I get to wear suits once or twice a week. But so I wouldn't say it evolved so much as it expanded into trying to be aesthetically competent in as many other arenas as opposed to just being micro-focused on this one particular one. I love that. I, I like how you talk about that it's expanded, not necessarily evolved, because I think that oftentimes when we think about style, especially as men, the first thing we go to is the suit. Now, in your book, The Appearance of Power, you you talk a lot about the three uh, archetypes that uh, you use to help men to dress their best. Walk our listeners through a little bit, uh, or walk our listeners through the archetypes and and what are what are those? Uh, how do how do you use those in in coaching people? Yeah, let me tee that up the right way because I think one of the biggest mistakes that most men make when they think about clothing, uh, grooming, appearance, anything related to that, is they think about it as this is something that is external that is then what impinged upon me like this is something that somebody else creates and i have to follow the dress code or i have to follow the rules yeah. whereas the real way to do it correctly is it starts with something internal and it becomes an outward expression of something that you are on the inside and this is where the archetypes come in where if you fall into one of these three and most of us have a mix of all three of them is it gives you this kind of baseline to start from and so what these are it's three r's which makes it easy to remember them you've got rugged refined and rakish. And the way these break down is for the rugged guys, 
you interact mostly with the world through physical methods. And so that may be something like blue collar work that may be, you know, when you think of words rugged, you think of like cowboys and lumberjacks or all that. You may be somebody who's really into fitness. You may be somebody who's really creative from a physical perspective and you're more of an artist, like a sculptor or something else, but you, you interact right. with the world. Right. And there are ways to dress that not only lean themselves toward that from a function perspective, but that also communicate that and so help you feel congruent both internally and externally as far as I'm presenting myself the same way. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, okay, and, so and this is what I love and resonate with, with your messaging. And when you talk about that, these things come from inside. So I'm an artist at heart, but yet I was the guy for a lot of years that had to wear the suit. And so mm -hmm. there was this clash, there was this dichotomy of who I was inside and what I felt like I had to dress like. And I think that uh, I probably made all the mistakes in the book. So uh, rugged <laughs> is one of them. Yep. What's the next one? So the next one is refined. And this is for guys okay. who primarily exist in the world of civilization and rules and structure and hierarchy and organization and all of that. And you may be top tier, that 1%. You may be, may be a middle manager and you may be just getting started and aspiring, but you like the idea of how rules and society work and you thrive by following that and by playing within the rules. And that's where most of this suiting comes in. That's where most of the Western civilization throughout the last, like, I mean, mostly the 17th through the late 20th century, that's where most of those aesthetics came from was by signaling competence and awareness and, and thriving within those, those hierarchies of what society was. So that's, that's the refined and then the third is rakish, which these are the guys who they get those rules just as well as the refined guys do. But rather than thriving by following them, they thrive by breaking them, by bending them, by being on the outskirts, by being these kind of iconoclasts. And so this is where you get rock stars and rebels and outsiders and all of this. And there's there's certainly an ethos and a mindset and an attitude that goes there. And your appearance should reflect that again for your own internal sense of congruence, but also so that you can maximize the way that you interact with the world that way too. Yeah, I love that. And and uh, you mentioned before that most people tend to be across of all three of those. How do you right. walk people through defining where they fit along this spectrum of these three archetypes? So the, the you're just like setting up perfect leads for me here. The easiest way is I have a quiz <laughs> on my go. website that you can go hey, to. Hey, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love how it's non-scripted, but it worked out well. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you want to know like your primary one there is, there's like a seven question quiz that you can go take on my main site, masculine-style.com. What I do with my coaching clients is this is actually one of the main pillars that we focus on. And if you read the book, there's a lot of it in there too, but it's really basically understanding like, what is your relationship with rules? What is your relationship with hierarchy? Are you more theoretical? Are you more physical? And I imagine that as you guys who are listening, if you go through and you, you get an idea of what these are, there are some ways that you'll be able to go, I'm very much that way. I'm not quite that way. I'm a little bit more that way. And it's, it's relatively intuitive. Yeah. So Tanner, I got Oh, I'm, sorry, Steve. No, go for it. Go for it. Just a quick question for you as you've worked with, uh, with, with other guys, um, and I'll tee it up with my, with my own experience. So I grew up skinny kid. Uh, I wouldn't say overly athletic, but I, lo I loved uh, sports and loved playing sports. Uh, but I was really skinny. Nothing ever really fit that well. Um, then, you know, over the several years of my schooling and stuff, I kind of went, got way overweight. And then the last, oh, I don't know, six, seven years, I've gotten myself 
into much better shape um, and found that a lot of my style has come, as you said, from within. But I've also found that as I've picked up some of these new things like running or swimming or whatever, or lifting weights, uh, I would then gone out and challenged myself with other things. Like I picked up uh, archery, bow hunting. Cool. And so I found that, uh, you know, I went from wanting to wear a suit all the time to wanting to wear a suit sometimes, but also got into like the camo thing. Uh, uh-huh. And now I'm not just. Have you gone like full on just... tactical? Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole thing. Right? He's the got a camo night. suit now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You're going Duck but, Dynasty on us, aren't you, Nick? Exactly. Do you find that that's like typical as guys move through uh, different phases of their life or as they find different hobbies? Or do you find that guys are just kind of wired that way anyway and they just discover it? Or what do you think? No, I think that it should be that way, but sadly, I think it's the opposite way. And it has a lot more to do with whether or not you are a self-development minded man, where you actually go through these phases and these evolutions and you continue to progress. Because if you do, then it does become easier to do exactly what you did. And that's how your, your style should not be the same today as it was five years ago, nor should it be the same in five years as it is today, because you should be growing and progressing. And that means that that congruence between the internal and the external should be growing and progressing as well. Sadly, what most guys do is they still dress like they did at the time in which they peaked. Maybe that was college. Maybe that was right when they first got married. Maybe that was as far back as high school, but that was the time in which they felt like they had the most control over their lives. That was the time that they felt like they were being the most proactive about what they were doing And now they probably sadly just work a a nine to five that doesn't get them thrilled. They're probably hempecked by their wives. They probably don't get as much respect from their kids as they want. And so one of the main ways to hold on to a sense of identity and a sense of I'm still me and I haven't totally let myself go into this Homer Simpson level of mediocrity is they still dress like they did at that one point. And so it's holding on to that inertia rather than being proactive about, no, I'm not going to let middle age and, and a comfortable career and a good marriage and all of that be an excuse to rest on my laurels. So I, I love where you are from the exception as far as being proactive and continuing to grow and allowing your appearance to grow with you. That's exactly how it should be done. That makes sense. Yeah, there, there is a growth and an evolution. And I think that we, we, we change in many aspects of life. And hopefully we change because of our choices in a positive way, like you're talking about. Um, what about, let's, let's talk anthropomorphic type changes. I mean, men, women, we, we all change. We get bigger, we get smaller. You mentioned before that five years ago is not the same as today. Today is not the same as, as five years from now. How do you, what do you, what do you coach your, your clients on if their body changes? Let's say that for the positive, maybe they're putting on some more muscle or maybe the negative that they struggled through this pandemic and they put on, I think I read the stat the other day that said it was an average of 27 pounds that people put on during the, uh, the COVID pandemic. So Mm -hmm. how do you walk people through the shift of body changes and how that, uh, relates to what their style should be today? Uh, There's two different approaches to take. The first one is to use it as a reinforcement of good changes that are already happening where, and this is why my favorite clients are guys who may realize that they've got anywhere from 15 to 55 or however many more pounds to lose. Cause I I have a lot of guys who come in and they think I want to get to where I'm totally dialed on my physique and then I'm ready to work with you. But the problem is Mm. 
is that those changes don't feel as solid if you're not making other more immediate changes as you go. And so I love right. working with guys. We alter their, their aesthetics to their clothes as they go through it. Now, at the same time, if you're going back in the other direction, you still need to be able to dress in a way that, that signals things like dignity and self-respect and credibility and authority and these kind of masculine things that we want to be able to signal to ourselves and to other people around us. And sadly, what most guys tend to do when they start to move in this other direction is they get really self-conscious about the fact that they're carrying more weight than they want. And so they dress in a way that they think hides it. But the reality mm. is, is not only does it not hide it, but then you also look sloppy in addition to it. So it's actually a double, a double point against you instead of, well, yeah, you may not be totally as jacked and tan as you would like to be, but at least you still look <laughs> put together and, and clean and all of that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but at least you still look like you, you're, you're still, you've got some other things dialed in and this just happens to be one area that you're working on as opposed to a lot of guys, sadly, just end up looking like, They've just let it all go and they don't care and they don't have any respect for you, the person that they're interacting with or themselves or anybody else. Yeah. And yeah, and, and I think that kind of goes back to what you're talking about before. There's there's an authenticity to what you teach. I was mentioning to Nick before uh, you jumped on that one of the reasons I uh, have followed you and I've actually not followed other uh I guess you could say style bloggers, style influencers uh, over the years is there, there's an authenticity to what you bring to the table and there's an authenticity to what you teach that I think is, is, is very powerful. Um, I remember I wrote down in a post that you put up some time ago, uh, you mentioned that being authentic and really standing up for your personal beliefs it may go against the current woke agenda and you've actually lost some followers on social media because of it, but that the quality of followers, the quality of interaction had gone up. Uh, and I think that resonates with the message that you have overall of, hey, start from within. The style is just how you communicate that. But what are some of the observations that you've had as you have continued to be authentic in the message that you're putting out there? How have people responded positively and or negatively to it? That's fun because it it's always changing. Um, I think the biggest thing for me personally, as far as my own what sense of self and my own, my own internal sense of my authenticity is there something that feels so cool about not having anything in your life. That's really off limits that the, the public and the, and the private are, are essentially the same person. And no, that doesn't mean that I'm sharing the most intimate details of every aspect of my life. There certainly needs to be some measure of privacy, but when it comes to your beliefs right. your philosophies, these main things, uh, the more that I talk about that kind of stuff, the more, the more integrated it becomes and the easier it is for me to talk about those things. I think a lot of times when we have uh, certain topics that are off, that are off limits, like religion or sexual differences between men and women or politics or any of these, the, the more taboo we make them, then the less we actually integrate with them and the more we become two different people or three different people, you've got your public person and your private person. Whereas the more you're willing to actually be out and upfront about it, then the more confident you feel because I am the same person online as I am offline. Or when I'm in one meeting with one person or another meeting with somebody else, like I don't have to put on a bunch of different masks. It's all the same person. And I think that's what I love about the message is that the, uh, appearance of power and the style 
communicates clearly with what's inside of you. And so if you are authentic to yourself, you are going to give an authentic perspective to every person. They're not going to have to question which tanner am I, am I going to get today? It's the same tanner in every place, right? Same tanner. That's not making apologies for who he is. And that's the so real let's irony, talk about, because most guys think that, well, caring about how you dress is the opposite of authentic, that you're putting on right, a costume right. to signal something or or the way that I have to be authentic means that I have to wear my gym clothes everywhere or I have to wear a suit everywhere. And you can change. I mean, same thing. I don't use the same. I don't use the same tone of voice on a podcast as I do when I'm in a library, nor do I use exactly the same vocabulary with sure. other men as I do with my children. That sure. doesn't mean I'm not being authentic. It just means that I've got a full explored range to be able to then pull from and apply to more specific environments or, or scenarios. And your, your aesthetic should be the same way. So authenticity comes from uh -huh. that as opposed to it being a, a facade that actually isn't authentic. That's the real irony of all of it. Well, it really is because we, we are multifaceted people, right? Mm -hmm. We have multi, I mean, I, I am a complete goofball and idiot with my kids. I can get them laughing. My wife, like I will go on and on. And yet I will never bring that to the office because at the office, I'm a different person. I have right. to be a different person or a different aspect of who I am. Yeah, I, you I just turn on something else or turn down something because it's not a different person. It's just being yeah, different socially aware and being able to right. adapt to the right scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Being an idiot like I am with my kids at the office doesn't quite work. So let's talk part of the authenticity, I think, of what your message ha is and has been is masculinity. Um, I'm a fan of it. I know you are. I, in fact, I, I, I love this quote from uh, one of the first few pages of your book, uh, The Appearance of Power. You said that power has an appearance and appearance has power. Ideally, those two would line up together and the world would be full of good masculine men who dress and look like good masculine men. I love that quote. Now, the major, major media and pop culture seems to be waging war on masculinity, at least from my perspective. Why do you think that that idea of masculinity is such a divisive theme right now that we hear over and over again? Man, how far the rabbit hole do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> we may have a few episodes here. <laughs> I mean, you could go all in as far as the idea that, um, you know, uh, and I don't know how much I subscribe to all of these to 100%, but at least all of them to some degree. But emasculated men are easier to control. It's a whole lot easier. Sure. We're, we're, a lot, go. we're a lot easier and as far as more willing to consume things. And so we're a lot more pliable when it comes to buy this or define your identity by that. I also think that we are a, we move from being an honor culture to a dignity culture to now a victim culture where the more victimized you are, the highest, the higher status you are within a culture and that identifying as a victim and identifying with the core tenets of masculinity are antithetical to each other. You cannot be overtly masculine while identifying as a victim. And so it's a low status in our current culture to identify that way. It's That's a great point. It's conflicting as opposed to being like very peaceful and all of that. And so in almost every single way, well, and really one of the best ways that I've heard it put is that masculinity used to be, it used to be a necessity and now it's optional to technology and civilization, mm. and everything they've made masculinity optional. I don't have to 
go hunt to be able to provide for my family. I don't even have to do hard labor. Like a, a woman can do my job. Most kids could probably do a lot of the aspects of my job as far as the mechanics of it, the typing stuff, the blogging and all that kind of stuff. In fact, more women succeed right. at the, the online influencer than men do. I don't have to, I don't have, you know, I can call the police for this. All of these things that I used to have to do, we can outsource. And so it is optional. And it's a hard option to choose and, and everything is trying to tell us not to choose it. So I, I don't know. There's, there's a million different reasons why this is happening the way that it is. Tanner, so, I got so a what, question. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, go for it, Nick. Go for uh, it. Do you think men nowadays are being talked out of their masculinity and that it's inherent to them uh, that they feel it regardless of being talked out of it? Or do you think, you know, that's not maybe something we naturally feel, but that uh, we're still being talked out of it, even if we don't naturally feel it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. And I think it's both. Uh, I think we are certainly both rationally getting talked out of it and kind of being shamed out of it. I think that all of the media messaging and everything else that's being pumped at us, other than your token kind of like superhero stuff or video game things is largely yeah. anti-masculine. But I also think to a large extent, I just read this today, testosterone levels have dropped by 50% since the year 2000 and yeah, you cannot, right. And you don't have the same drive or the same inclinations or the same uh -huh. disposition when you have low testosterone versus when you have high testosterone. And so I think that right. it's this sad mix of both where chemically we've been changed by physiologically we've been changed, but then socially and if philosophically and in all these other contexts we've been changed too. And so I don't know what's the chicken or what's the egg, but there's this kind of sad synergy to all of it. And I, I think that with a lot of guys, if you were to like wake them up to it from a philosophical perspective, they would still resist it because of where they are biologically. And so it's, it's a tough nut for sure. It really is. It's hard to know uh, sometimes where, uh, where to go. I mean, uh, my day to day uh, that I do is in the medical spa industry and we, we deal with uh, people coming in for hormone replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. And that is becoming literally not just a multi-million, it will be a multi-billion dollar business here very soon. And I, and I question, it's not that I question my business, but I question to myself, why is this the case? After having spent over 20 years in health and fitness, I think I've got a pretty good idea. Uh, but I do think that we are, your point that you made before of that we're making some choices and we are doing some things that are getting us away from that masculinity. It just, we can go in the opposite direction. We can get, we, the, a masculine man is not just the quiet uh, uh, person that never says anything. No. A masculine man is not the person that, uh, you know, sits on the couch and eats a bag of potato chips. There, there's a lot more to it. I think one of the messages that uh, resonates uh, with me when you uh, post on Instagram that you, you uh, use this theme of, uh, quote, but real men don't care how they look. And you have a <laughs> consistent segment on your social media. And in posting that, you then post multiple pictures of people throughout history in positions of power who are dressed in all sorts of regalia. Uh, we, why do, why do you think that the message is out there or why do we believe, I guess, that real men don't care how they look? I've thought about this one for years because we do, we hear it all the time. And I still occasionally have people who pop up and you get into big online battles about this stuff or you go read 
a men's forum and the the pages that always have you know the the threads that always have like 18 pages worth of comments are the ones that it's the a real man should dress this way and then everybody's fighting against it like we have this yeah. this ingrained antipathy for appearance for appearance that we've been built that we've had built into us and i think a big part of it is that it's been this what this bastardization of this idea from a moral perspective that a real man does what he think is right, regardless of what anybody else thinks of him. And I totally agree with that. I think that your sure. yeah, I agree. moral loyalty, like you should do the right thing, regardless of what, what anybody else says. But then the problem is, is like a lot of things that are great, then that gets expanded upon or twisted or bastardized to become something that isn't as great when it gets plugged into different arenas. And so it became real men don't care what anybody thinks about them at all, which is not actually masculinity. It's completely sociopathic right to not <laughs> right yeah it's quite right. narcissistic it's very so. bad problem <laughs> yeah. to have yeah. we don't so want to go that direction we no, not at all and we can't do it in a lot of regards but then we kind of still hold on to this idea of that and and so my my supposition of this is that the ways in which we can allow ourselves to at least signal that i don't care what anybody thinks of me that actually have low consequences of not actually being a sociopath. A lot of guys will try and get away with that. And so that's where this yeah. idea, well, Hey, yeah. nobody's really going to punish me. If I don't really care how I look, I don't actually look like I'm going to murder a bunch of people, but then I can still play the script in my head that a real man doesn't care what anybody else thinks of him. So it, to me, it just feels like a silly compromise between those two very, you know, mutually exclusive ideals. That's a great, I, I love how you just put that. I, I used to joke with people, uh, because one of the things I would teach when I would go around and do leadership training was uh, some emotional intelligence concepts. And I, I would joke and say, hey, the only people in the entire world that don't have emotions, don't feel them, don't express them are A, sociopaths and B, robots. And I don't know how many robots we've got walking around. Uh, so you've got to feel them. You've got to be remote. And I think that uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. We're, we're trying to give this perspective of we don't care but we do care. And mm -hmm. that's kind of a cop out. It's, it's, it's a runaway. Now, do you think it's cultural for America? Cause I, now I, I haven't traveled to other countries, but you, I've heard and I've seen that, you know, Italian men dress really well. Mm -hmm. uh, my heritage uh, is British. And so I look at the way that British men have dressed for years and years and they're very conscientious of their style. Is this an American problem? Is this something that we see in other parts of the world? What's your perspective on it? Yeah, I think it's it's largely an American problem, especially because we we have these ideas as far as European men tend to dress well, and we think of you know stuff that fits better and it's better suits or things like that. But you go to you go to Cuba or you go to Panama or you go to Uganda or you go to Thailand, and there are still ways that these men dress that they put a lot of time and energy and effort into their appearance compared to what your average American man does. And so I do, I think it's a uniquely American thing. I think it may have something to do with the idea of the whole like John Wayne rugged individualism. Again, that I, you know, I'm not a we fought so hard against the ethos of communism that we became hyper individualists to the problem that that to the point that that became a problem in and of itself. And so, yeah, I do. I think it's, it's a relatively uniquely American thing. Mm. I love, yeah, I love that perspective. And I like how you brought up John Wayne, because I know in your book, you talked about, um, was it your uncle that you helped him to find a yes. suit? Yep. Who was, uh, was he a rancher or a farmer? 
Yeah. So he does, uh, man, I don't even know everything that he does, but he really feel like uh, he's a, he's a falconer and he does all these other things. And he lives in this tiny town in Idaho of like 200 people in the population, never been married. And when you were saying a few minutes ago about being a rugged guy, but having to wear suits and that really chafing against you, that's how my uncle was, right. but he had to wear <laughs> yeah. my, my grandma, his mom's funeral. And so he came down to see me and we got him in one that actually made him feel great and actually made it so that when we were at the funeral, he could focus on his mom and focus on the service and focus mm. on his siblings, as opposed to spending the entire time with this buzzing in the back of his head of, I feel ridiculous and I look ridiculous and I hate everything about this. And I just can't wait to get out of this stupid suit. I, and I think that's an important point because there's, there's obviously an objective to life where when you're in that moment, there's something else that you want to focus on besides yourself. So I get that to a certain degree. You know, if I, if I'm at work, I don't necessarily want to focus on how I'm dressed. If I'm at a uh, social function, I don't want to focus on how I'm dressed. If I'm, uh, I've got all the paints out and I'm creating and I'm painting, I don't want to focus on how I'm dressed. There's there's a an objective that I'm going for, um, but it's still important. And so, for men who fear focusing on how they look, what is what, what, what are some steps or what's some advice that you would give to them? I think the first thing would be to just be willing to change your mindset on it, because I love the way that you put it, that in all these different arenas, you don't want to have to focus on how you dress. And the cool thing about what I do is even myself, let alone the clients that work with me, but certainly the guys that work with, like, they don't think about what they're wearing throughout the day any more than any of you guys do. They don't. But right. they get to reap the advantages of having other people see them in a different light or them seeing themselves in a different light. And so it really is kind of a cheat code as far as you don't have to expend any more mental energy once you've learned the skills and you've established a good relationship with them. You don't have to think any harder about it. Just like you don't have to think about walking and chewing gum like you you're mentally freed up to do yeah. other things. Whereas if you spent your whole life convincing yourself that I don't know, walking was something that real men don't do. And then you had to try to learn how to do it. Like it takes some time to learn how to get there. But once you've established the skill, it's really easy and you get to reap all the war rewards of it, take advantage of all the benefits while being totally mentally freed up to focus on the things in life that are way more important than whether or not your shirt fits great or your pants are too long or these other kind of trivial things. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a level up. It's a cheat code. Yeah, it really is. This is your up, up, down, down, ABA, ABA start. Right? <laughs> yes. You're the getting, you get, yeah, yeah. The game. Genie. <laughs> this is your, this is your contra. So you're getting an extra 30 lives, but I, it is a skill set, right? It's something. And, and this is something that I learned over the years because I didn't want to focus on how I dressed when I was in the moment. And so I uh, learned and, you know, went through that skill set to, to identify mm -hmm. what's going to work for my body, what's going to work for the situations that I'm in. Um, so let's talk about the why. Why do you think, I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but why is it so important for men to care about these things, to care about developing this skill, this skill set of uh, creating this appearance and this style? Because we're visual creatures. We judge so much of our environment based on what we see. And as much as we like to convince ourselves that we can treat everybody as a blank slate or that you don't judge a book by its cover, our brain cannot handle the functionality of treating every scenario as an unknown. We have to make shortcuts. And we, and we take those shortcuts to create different scenarios and different environments for ourselves. And so 
people will always, always, Mm -hmm. always judge you by the way that you look. And not only other people, but you will always judge yourself by the way that you look. And try and convince yeah. yourself that you don't, but you do. And it may be something as simple as catching your reflection in your car window as you're going to get into it. It may be seeing a picture on your wife's Instagram. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. it is. You are going to judge yourself just as much by the way you look as other people do. And the amount of mental energy that you put into trying to change that aspect of it is wasted. Whereas if you were to put in a tenth of that energy into just liking the way that you look, then you're actually adapting to reality. And not only that, but you're getting to take full advantage of all the benefits that come with that reality. What a beautiful um, way to put it. Oh, sorry, Steve. I keep interrupting you here. Given that we are uh, visual creatures and we judge everybody and everything that we see, uh, what do you think it is that causes the fear in many of us to, uh, you know, not conform, but to focus on our own style or our own uh, fashion choices. Why do you think we get stuck in that rut? I think we play not to lose rather than playing to win where uh, I'm sure that this was the case for you guys. I'm sure it's the case for the majority of our listeners where you think back to maybe it was a time in high school. Maybe it's some guy that you work with now where he obviously tries too hard. And by trying too hard, he swings and he misses and he embarrasses himself in a relatively mm-hmm. public way. And that's the thing that sucks about improving your appearances. It's not like learning to play the cello or learning to do something else that you get to practice in private. Like you get good at this in public and, or you get bad at this in public. And so rather than trying to dress well and really screwing it up, it's a whole lot easier to just try to avoid any sort of attention, whether that's positive or negative or anything to that effect. And so it's, it's a huge level of, being socially risk averse is, is, has been my experience with, as far as dealing with clients or other guys who are resistant to this idea. Does that yeah, what a beautiful that perspective. Yeah. Nick, did that, that answered it? Yeah. That's, that was yeah. a great answer. Yeah. I, I think it's a beautiful perspective because I think as we grow as men um, and we develop in our masculinity, a big part of it is just taking risk. And we mm-hmm. are never going to get the great reward if we don't take the risk. Um, what you said reminded me when I started dressing in suits, all I knew was to wear that uh, pinstripe suit to throw the pocket square in. You know, I remember one of the, the first suits I had when I started in business, it was a blue pinstripe suit. Uh, probably way too big, a big pocket square hanging out, a lapel pin, a pink flashy tie, Mm -hmm. a blue shirt with the white. I mean, like it was over the top. Yeah, absolutely over the top. And I remember a few years later, as I started to learn some of these concepts and I said, you know what? I tend to be refined, but then across the board, I'm rakish and rugged. I'm I'm pretty even. I mean, when I took your test, it was uh, almost even Steven across the board. Nice. And I, and I really uh, pulled that in and I created a wardrobe that fit who I was. And so there were days where there was something that was, you know, I had a very bold color on. Uh, there were other days where it was more of the uh, rugged texture that I was wearing within yep. that suit. And I, I had someone come up to me uh, at my office one day and say, you know, Steve, it, it's been really cool to see your style change over the years. I remember when you started wearing suits and you were this way and now you're this way. And now it just seems like you know who you are more. And it it made me feel a little embarrassed at the moment because I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> you're as you said, 
when you're making, when you're taking these risks and you're trying, you are going to make mistakes and everybody's going to see it. But if you keep yep. going, just like anything else in life, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the world didn't end because I wore a no. bad suit, right? No, not at all. So well, I love that you brought up what the major initial mistakes are, because I think this is another problem that a lot of guys have, especially if you're thinking, if yeah. you're listening to this, you're thinking, great, I want to start because most guys, they think, okay, that means I have to dress more formally. I have to go to, yes. you know, everybody, yeah. everybody in my office wears a t-shirt and jeans. So I got to put on chinos and, and, a, and a button up or rather than going more formal, or maybe in addition to going more formal, they go with louder colors or bigger patterns. And those are all right. very usable but they're also kind of where the beginners tend to focus. And those are going to be the high risk, high, like high, uh, high reward type things. Most of the time you just need something that fits a little bit better with simple colors and some decent texture to it. And you're, you're set. It's really easy from that perspective. And so you don't have to do a suit with a giant pink tie and a, and a massive pocket square. Like it can be really, right. really simple. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, you can tell the difference. You guys who are listening may not be able to quantify the difference, but I can, and I can teach you to quantify the difference between someone who looks awesome in a white t-shirt, a pair of blue jeans and a pair of sneaker versus somebody who looks like Jerry Seinfeld from 98 in it. You know, oh my a, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what a great example. I, uh, my wife and I <laughs> love that show. We used to laugh at, uh, he, he, Elaine, I mean, all the clothing that they wore back in those days. Yep. So it's not yep. just about the suit. What, so for people who are not wearing the suits every day, I know you mentioned that they're, that fit is an important part of it. What are some of the other things that you focus on for people outside of what they, what the standard suiting or style concepts are? Fit is obviously a big one. That's what most of the guys who do what I do will talk about. The other one that is the biggest one is really to understand context where, and this is easy on yes. the, on the extremes where, you know, you're not going to wear a suit to the gym, nor are you going to wear a pair of swim trunks. If you've got, if you're serving jury duty, like we get that on the extremes, but all of that exists within these, these other contexts and these other components as well. And so if you can understand the, uh, the context of who it is that you're around, who it is that you are, where it is, you are, what it is that you're doing and how to navigate all of that, then maybe all you need is, is, I mean, really you guys like, Almost every single day, I'm in a pair of jeans and a Henley and a pair of sneakers. And when I need to dress up in a, in a different way, I can, but it doesn't matter because if I'm going to the park with my kids or we're going to run errands or something else, I know that I will look like I have some self-respect mm -hmm. and I don't have to be totally dressed up or totally flashy in order to be able to signal that to myself or to anybody else. It can be so easy. You just got to figure out the context of it. Yeah. And I want to, I want to take a step back to what you were talking about earlier, because you mentioned it, whether you go to the store and you see yourself in the mirror, I know you mentioned if you see yourself in a picture, it's how you feel about yourself. And there are some small changes that you can make that make you feel better about yourself. And I think most people, not just men, most people have a uh, habit of being very negative about themselves. They have this habit of overthinking and, okay, oh, I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that. And the narrative tends to bring them down. What, what I'm hearing from you, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that through this shift in how they are uh, dressing can signal something that's better, signal something that's deeper, signal something that's more powerful inside of them itself. Am I hearing you correctly? Absolutely. Especially because 
you need as many wins as you can get. We all do. It doesn't matter how confident you are. It doesn't matter how high tier you are in your own personal life or your status. Like we all need as many mental wins as we can get. And this is an easy mental win to give yourself. And not only that, but it's also something that you can kind of trick yourself into becoming better because if you're dressing authentically to who you are right now, then great. Like that's a win and you feel this congruence and everything's great. But if you can dress authentically to the next level version of who you are, the better version of who you are, then what's mm -hmm. cool is it creates this little bit of dissonance and you're forced to either bring it back down aesthetically. Your style has to come back down to where you currently are, or you are then forced to dress to bring your life up to what it is that you're signaling with that style. Now that doesn't mean, and that's why they say like dress for the job that you want instead of the one that you have. Most of the time when you think that you're thinking about the way that other people will treat you, but really it's about how you see and perceive yourself. And so in a lot of ways, it's like a, what, like a self-development placebo that you can totally right. administer to right. yourself and, and totally take advantage of. It's almost like, so as I'm looking at you in your, in your room right now, and you've got the cello behind you, having the cello in the room signals to you that you are um, a cello player at this point. Mm -hmm. And so now you may not be Yo-Yo Ma, but you're moving in that direction. And so if I'm right. hearing you correctly, it's that when you dress a little bit better, when you start to focus on some of these things, you're now signaling to yourself that, hey, we're moving old, old me, new me, and current me, we are all moving together in this new exactly. direction. Yeah. 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 I mean, the cello is a perfect example of that. There's a reason I not only have it in my office so I can see it, but I intentionally have it on frame on camera for when I'm doing podcasts or I'm talking to my clients, because by making it a public thing that I have talked about that I'm learning, that means I now have this additional pressure of, I have to actually show up for practice. I have to actually put in the energy and the effort to learn how to do it. Cause otherwise I'm just a fake and I'm just a bum and I'm just a liar and I'm all of these other things. And so yeah. this is an off body way of using appearance to trick myself when motivation doesn't work to almost like use some self shame or some kind of external motivation <laughs> to make myself step that. up. And that's the same thing you can do with your style. Yeah. 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 It's great. I, you, you can maybe see a little bit behind me. I've got my longboard sitting there. Yeah, I do I the same the thing there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do that because I, I tend to be very driven, very passionate in everything I do. And I sometimes will forget to just have fun in all aspects of life. And I can sit and focus on one thing for such a long time. And so I put my longboard, I pulled it from the garage, put it up here as a reminder that uh, there's got to be enjoyment and pleasure in everything that we do. Perfect. Now, That's perfect. I, I, yeah, I love that you're talking about the cello. I want to just shift slightly, though, because we've talked that the expression of power comes from within and who you are and the expression of your own style comes from who you are. You have really over the last, I don't know how long, uh, focused on your, your fitness, your health and fitness. Um, you trained for a triathlon. Is that right? And now yeah, you're shifting over Man last year. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Congratulations. And now Thank you're you. shifting into powerlifting and barbells, um, doing some barbell training. So talk a little bit about, uh, how fitness has played into your overall style and uh, evolution as a as a human being. 
man, fitness is everything. <laughs> One of if you know, there's the meme of like, if you could go back to yourself at 18, what would you say? And the one yeah. thing that I would say is start lifting weights. Cause I didn't start lifting until I was maybe 28 years old. So all mm. of my genetics and my timing and everything were already gone and passed. Like it didn't matter, but what it does, what it is, what it's done for me from a mental health standpoint, what it's done for me from a spiritual standpoint, what it's done for me from a disposition standpoint, I'm less neurotic. I'm less angsty. I'm better mm. as a dad. I'm better as a husband because I'm more at yeah. peace. Like all of that started. And I actually started weight training. Yeah. When I was 28, um, from there I moved into boxing and I did that for about four years and I would love, cool. I would love to go back and do that. And it's just become this kind of thing where I don't know, I was always, okay. So in high school and college and everything else, I was an effortless B student, which meant I could get B's and pass all my stuff without having to put any energy into it whatsoever. And nothing really engaged me to the point where I was interested in putting any energy into it. And that was my whole life was just like, let's just do enough to get by. And then I can play video games and I can have fun with my friends or with my wife. And I don't really have to do anything that's that hard. And then strength training was something that was hard. And boxing was something that was mm -hmm. hard. And I got addicted to the idea of building my tenacity and building my grit and learning just how good it is to do hard things. And so that's why if I could have an extra 10 years on myself of learning the power of doing hard things and how good it feels to fail when you suck yeah. at doing hard things and then overcome that failure when you get better at doing hard things. Oh man. So, so <laughs> good. I mean, realistically, yeah. if I had to choose between style and fitness, I would choose fitness. I would dress like a complete bum if I got to, if that meant that I could still focus because the, the effects are just so big and thankfully, obviously they're not mutually exclusive, but right, it's right. so big. It's so big. I, and, I, and like it, it, I or, yeah, Nick, go for it. I know you're oh. a boxer. So I was going to see if you wanted to take a jab here. <laughs> uh, I did box for a while, but uh, do you feel like your failures in athletics and fitness have boosted your confidence? And if so, why or how? Maybe it's massively. I think the best thing that ever happened for my confidence was November of 2018. Uh, I had my first and so far only uh, amateur boxing bout. I had more people in the audience cheering for me than anybody else by like triple. And I have never been to a fight, an amateur fight, in which I've seen anybody get as bloodied and beaten up as I got beaten up that night. Like, I mm. got wrecked. And in a lot of ways, I should have felt humiliated because the, the hype was all there for me and everything. But that failure wasn't that big of a deal. I was still back at the gym the next week. I was still working on the stuff that I was working on. My friends were still there with me. Ever Like, all of these big things that I had in my head as far as how devastating it would be. Same thing, honestly, I got divorced 10 years ago. I had been previously married mm. before this one. You learn how awful all of that is. And you have your reputation dragged through the mud and all of that. And you come out of it and you go, yeah, that sucked. But it's not nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. And so failure is huge for confidence because you realize that most of the time that big old lion that you're terrified of is really just a little bit of kitty cat that's not that scary at all. Yeah, what is it? Uh, I think Tim Ferriss in his book, uh, Four Hour Work Week, he said, if you look at all of the problems in life and what's the worst thing that can happen, and then you rate it on a scale of one to 10, most of them are about a four or a five in the mm -hmm. big scheme of things. And I love yeah. how when you're talking about fitness, that you're, uh, you're talking about the mental uh, health, the emotional growth, and the spiritual connection. And I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I spent over 20 years in health and fitness, and it is the perfect combination of success and failure all within 
one session, whatever that session yep. is, because yep. you can gr get great success. Maybe you got this lift that you didn't do before. Um, maybe you're getting a better pump than what you had last time or whatever it is, but then you're also failing every single time. Maybe you didn't get that yep. lift or you didn't get that extra rep. And it shows you that that balance of failure and success in life is everywhere. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay that you failed today. And it's okay that you succeeded today and life goes on. So I love yeah. that you're talking about that. So how do you decide, Tanner, with your personal development, some of these other goals that you have, how do you go through the process of deciding what you're going to develop in next? It was triathlon. Now it's barbell. Mm -hmm. Now it's cello. What's your process that you go through in deciding what your personal growth and development looks like? I don't know if I have a system for it so much as I know that every year I want to tackle something bigger or not necessarily bigger, but something big and new and something that's going to require a little bit of an investment. I know for me with boxing, it was that I had no relationship with violence and mm. I didn't want my first real rep with violence to be the one where it counted. I, I wanted to have some reps under my belt. I wanted to know what it felt Good like point. to get punched in the face. And I know that combat sport is very different than getting mugged or having to defend my family from an intruder, but I still wanted some familiarity with it. And it started from there. Iron Man was because I had seen um, a guy named Nick bear. Who's a hybrid athlete. Who's awesome. He's a big bodybuilder dude who did an Iron Man. And I thought hmm. that looks awesome and awful. And I'm scared of it. So let's do that because it's scary. <laughs> um, okay. The cello comes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, as far as I want more, masculine godly music and art in my life and i don't know where to find it and i don't get the right to complain about it if i'm not trying to create it for myself and maybe i never actually create it to the point where it's good enough for me or for anybody else but at least i can complain about it because i'm trying to do something about it <laughs> instead of, instead you got of a little street cred here yeah there you go <laughs> exactly you've earned so, a complaint right but it really yeah. is it just comes down to and I found that this is the case for most of the guys who end up coming and working with me as clients is you, you get to the point where you're blessed enough in your life that you have quite a few wins that you stacked up. And then you see that that means that there's some other arenas that the, there's some glaring discrepancies here where it's like, man, that is really not on par with the rest of the stuff that I've got going on. And you want to bring that up so that it's at a passable level as well. And so for me, it's this, this sense of creativity and it's the sense of artistry. And now I continue on the fitness stuff, mostly just because I'm addicted to it and I love it. And hopefully it'll be the same thing with awesome. music and creation and, and all of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. When you take on, I, when you take on something new, uh, how much time do you feel like you dedicate to it and how do you maintain the other things that you've previously taken on? Uh, where do you prioritize those in your, in your life? Does that make sense? Mm. Yes, it does. And this is one of the, the arenas in which I've actually been very, very blessed is when it comes down to actual like grind time for work. Um, most weeks, I probably average only having to put in 10 to 15 hours worth of work. I, I do not have to put in 40 or 60 or 80 hours in order to be able to provide a good living for my family, which means I get all that other time that I get to focus on my kids or on what these other developments are. And I mean, last year, I think last year I pushed the needle a little bit too hard where Ironman training was multiple sessions. Like it was two sessions a day, six days a week and Friday, Saturdays would be a five hour bike ride followed by a two hour run, which meant I was yeah. napping for the rest of the day. Like for, for the sake of my, my wife and my children that pushed that a little bit too far, but yeah, I mean, I just, I probably spend, 
half an hour a day on the cello. So not that big of a deal. I probably spend another two hours a day between some sort of strength training or cardio or both. I spend another few hours a day with my kids. I take the weekends, especially like Sundays are totally off limits. That's family only Thursdays are adventure Thursdays where the kids and my wife and I will go out and do fun stuff together. Like I get to set my schedule. I get to set my hours, which means I get to, to prioritize what I want to prioritize. And I'm really grateful to get to do that. That's great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, you've, you've really created a great life for yourself. And and I think, uh, like we mentioned earlier, congratulations, this is your fifth child. Talk a little bit about what being a father uh, means to you. Um, and, uh, you know, what what is uh, what shifted in you when you became a father? It's rocket fuel. I, man, if I didn't have kids, I would be content to just work a nine to five making $35,000 a year enough to pay the rent in a studio so I could play video games. Like I, mm. I would be fine with that. <laughs> that's, that's who I was before I got married and especially before I had kids. And now that I have the responsibility for these, these little lives, these wonderful lives. And I am forced to, to come to terms with the fact that my son is either going to want to grow up to be like me, or he's going to want to grow up to be nothing like me. And my daughters are either going to want to marry somebody who's like me, or they're going to want to marry somebody who's nothing like me. I have a responsibility to be as awesome as I can be so that they have these standards that they want to live up to, which means I don't get to rest on my laurels. And so everything that is good in my life, every little bit of ambition, every little bit of drive and growth comes from being a father. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I think that it's interesting because we talked a little bit before about the growth and the evolution of style and how people dress and how they appear and how they show up in different areas and aspects of life. You know, I was the funniest. I was the most entertaining. I was the best dad in the world when my kids were young. Those mm -hmm. same skill sets suck right now. I have the same dad jokes now that they are teenagers and they look at me like you are the dumbest guy in the world. <laughs> and I'm having ball, to, <laughs> yeah. And I'm having to change. I'm like, yep. Oh, well now I have to be cool. How do I be cool? You know? Right. And not be <laughs> so, cool in their way, but cool in the way that they want to be like you. So you're not meeting them right. on their turf, but you want yeah. them to, to aspire to you. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, so I love the my oldest is only pubes. eight. My oldest is okay. only eight. And okay. we're just starting to get a glimpse of that where it's like, man, I'm so good at raising good kids until they're six. And crap, yeah. now it's a whole yeah. different ball game and I have to change to be able to, to handle this next phase that comes with it too. <laughs> to totally changes. So uh, a question for you just popped into my mind that I want to get your perspective on as a father. So we just dropped a, we do uh, long episodes where like this, where we interview our guests and then we do short episodes where we'll talk about a specific topic. One of the shorts that we just dropped was called hashtag dad strong. Mm -hmm. And myself and my, my cohorts went through and talked about a time where they felt like that they were dad strong. They, they had a proud dad moment. So what's a dad strong moment that you've had recently? Well, I got one. I, I well, let me, I, let me make sure I'm on the same page. You think about like physically strong things or, or things that are just kind of like, Maybe, these, are, these are great dad moments or stuff. Just is. a great dad moment. Yeah. Okay. Emotional, physical, had, mental, it doesn't matter. Just yesterday, my third, who's four, uh, we, uh, I taught her how to ride her bike yesterday. Oh, and awesome. yeah. And it's so, it was so fun because I think I felt it even differently with her than I did with my first two, because my first two, they were excited about it, but there was still this level of trepidation. Whereas with her, as soon as she got it, she was off. Like I had to run to keep up with her and she had this big old grin on her face. Like my 
my third bought freedom yesterday. She just graduated to a whole new level of freedom that she has uh, never okay. before experienced. And she got it yesterday. And it's so cool because that's what it felt like for me. And it's really fun to get to experience that from the dad perspective instead of from the child perspective. It's it's a similar but different feeling. I don't know how to describe it, but I love what you're talking about where you say it's great to feel it as a dad because it's almost like it takes you back to the time right? where you felt that. But yet at the same time, it's not the same. I mean, you're you're at a different level. It's yeah. it's higher, it's better, it's, like it's Christmas deeper. Christmas and birthdays are so much better now than they were as a kid, and certainly than than they oh, were yeah. before having kids. Because you're right, you get not just this limited perspective, you get the full spectrum of it now. Right, right. I love that the full spectrum. So Tanner, I know we're coming up on our time here, but a couple of final questions for you. So we've talked a lot, and your your messaging focuses a lot on men men's style, men's uh, growth and development um, for women out there that if they've made it to this far in the episode, maybe they just said, ah, this is a guy's episode. Mm -hmm. I'm not listening. But for women out there, where's a good resource for them to connect their style, their appearance to who they are inside? Who are some educators or some influencers that would be beneficial for women to reach out to and to learn from? I honestly wish I knew the answer to that. I really do. Okay. I get asked that probably four or five times a month. Okay. Um, it's one of those well, things. Here you go. That, this is your sixth time then. Right? Yeah. But yeah. I do. I wish <laughs> that I had a resource. And I, there have been times where I thought, well, how applicable is what I do to women? And so I've gone through this course with my wife and with a few other women, and it doesn't yeah. translate at all. <laughs> and so, because otherwise okay. it's like, okay. I can make a lot of money and have a lot of good influence and stuff by doing it right. for men. But I don't know. So if any of you listeners have a great resource, then please let me know because I get asked this so frequently that I want to be able to send somebody in the right direction on stuff like this, but I, I haven't found her yet. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Great answer. Cause that's actually, I, you know, as I started going through your stuff and I would follow you and I would, my wife would see me making some changes and I would talk to her about this. And as I went through the book, she goes, wow, I really like that. Well, where do I learn something like this for myself? Because I want to be able to express myself. And I said, I don't know. And <laughs> I looked, I couldn't find anybody. Um, so for, for men, let's go back to men. And the final question is that if there's one thought that you could get across to men, if there's one um, idea that you could plant in their head, you had the ability to put that there so that it never goes away and changes an old limiting belief that they have. What is that one thought or that one message you would give to the, uh, our listeners? You haven't peaked yet. Hmm. I mean, that's it. Like your peak is when you set it and too many of us set it at 20 or at 30 and you haven't peaked yet unless you decided that you peaked and you haven't peaked yet. So keep, keep aspiring, keep growing, keep building. I love that. How do people know when they peak? I think that's another question that I would uh, pose to our listeners or maybe to you. I don't know. Well, and I think that that's the fault. I don't think there is such thing idea. as a peak because maybe you peak physically, but the best, the best men that, I, okay. So my, my grandfather-in-law, my, my wife's grandpa, he retired and he started woodworking after that. And 
like he cuts his own timber and has his own shop and builds his own. Like he just developed an entire new hobby and perspective and everything just because he wasn't working anymore. And that's when so many men mm. just decide, Oh, I'm, I'm done. I'm done doing things productive. Like I now just get to kind of rest on my laurels and relax and go play golf or whatever. But he decided, no, I'm going to be ambitious and I'm going to find some new skill set that I want to develop. And he's more cognitively there than any man I know his age. He's more physically there than any man I know. Like, you die if you peak. Whereas if you keep pushing yeah. and you keep growing, even if it can't be physically, maybe it's mentally, maybe it's relationally, maybe it's spiritually, but keep growing in the ways that you're capable of. And then you can peak when you die. It's a beautiful point. I've got a, a good friend of mine that passed away about a year and a half ago, and he was in his late eighties about uh, a year before he passed. He was, we were sitting on a bike together at the, at the, uh, uh, the gym he had just come out of surgery, uh, had hip surgery, had some cancer that was removed, and he was showing me videos of him and Laird Hamilton and a few other uh -huh. friends of his, um, on, and they were snowboarding down the mountains nice. in Patagonia. Nice. And he said, Steve, you see the guy in the front there? That's me. You see the person <laughs> behind me? That's Laird. None of those other guys could keep up with us. <laughs> and I, and it was just, and he hadn't peaked, you know, I mean, nope. that was it. He just, he had done, I don't know how many triathlons over his years. He had made hundreds of millions of dollars and he still hadn't peaked. And uh, it, I, what a, what a great perspective that you haven't peaked yet. Well, uh, Tanner, I, I want to thank you for, uh, for coming on, uh, I, and joining us today and imparting some wisdom, uh, on, and on that note, it is uh, time to wrap up another evolve podcast. I want to thank Nick Meekum, uh, sitting in his law office downtown in Salt Lake city for joining us. Nick, thanks for filling in, uh, for my co-host today. Appreciate you. Uh, Tanner, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you, to contact you, to get more information, to coach you, to buy your book? Uh, how do they get, how do they get with you? Best ways to interact with me is if you're on social media, you, uh, I'm most active on Twitter or Instagram, and those are just at Tanner Guzzi. So T-A-N-N-E-R-G-U-Z-Y. Uh, my DMs are open on both of those, and I do my best to respond to everybody that messages me. So that's a great way to get in contact. Uh, you can buy The Appearance of Power on Amazon or listen to it on Audible. And then the main site, which is where you mm -hmm. can take that archetype quiz and get on my mailing list and all of that, as well as masculine-style.com. Great. Well, what an amazing message you have. I think that, like you said before, some people might look at it and say, well, it's a little weird. You know, people, why should I care about my style? But it's so much more. And I hope our listeners have heard that today and that they will start to take these things uh, seriously and uh, jump on board with it. So again, thanks for listening to the Evolve podcast. Uh, uh, we want you to follow us at uh, Evolve underscore cast on Instagram. Also follow us on our website at evolve-cast.com where you can see all of the great things that we have going on, everything from the blogs with each episode. You can see all of our great gear on there. We You have a link to our Facebook page where we uh, focus on evolution people who are making changes in their life and it's just a forum for conversation about personal growth and evolution so thanks for listening to another episode of the evolve podcast a podcast that explores personal evolution through our choices and overcoming the challenges that life throws at us and now it's time for you to get out there and evolve thanks for joining us join us next week as we talk to the creator of fabulous female fridays kimberly wells that's next week on the Evolve Podcast.